I need to go a few times and get all that crap out. Welcome to episode 197 of the Little Red Bandwagon podcast, the show about the podcast Too Beautiful to Live. I'm your host, Christy, here in the Don't Wake the Sleeping Kids studio. On Mondays, we recap the show, but on Fridays, we bring you my favorite kind of shows. And today is especially special because I'm flanked by my road dog, Jeremy Holmes. Hello, Jeremy. Greetings. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, just trying to figure out how to install Twitter on my dumb phone. (laughs) Oh, no. I mean, like, would you have to go back to the old texting ways where you push uh, the number one three times to get a C? <laughs> I guess so, yeah. <laughs> T9 style. <laughs> and today we're also joined by Dana Steele, coming to you from the Pinterest studio in Everett, Washington. Hello, Dana. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> we visited Dana to drop off a microphone and her house looks straight out of Pinterest. <laughs> it is a very That's beautiful sweet. home. Yeah. I want you to come and decorate my house. <laughs> um, you may all remember Dana from episode 33, Wolf Magic, as she was part of Dave of the Stanwood 10's TBTL story. But today we're having her on so she can tell her own story. Hi. Yay. Hi. <laughs> all right. We're going to do this a little bit different because of the nature of of uh, Dana's clip. So I'm going to jump straight into her TBTL centric interview. Are you ready for this? I'm ready. Okay. Are you doing some mental stretches? <laughs> or actual and stretches. Physical. Or actual, yeah. <laughs> Jeremy's doing some yoga stretches over here while recording. That's, that's what we're Podcasting is strenuous. <laughs> don't want don't to pull a muscle. <laughs> All right, Dana, how did you find TBTL? I found it on the radio. So I think I must have discovered it in the first probably week it was on the air because I there's not really anything I don't remember when we go back and there's memories and things like that from the very early days of first being on the air. So it was the AM days of Cairo. So did you often listen to AM radio? <laughs> I did. Okay. <laughs> radio nerds. You listen to conservative AM radio? <laughs> I did. Okay. Talk radio, you know? Okay, yeah. It was like a half and half of NPR and, and AM talk radio. I was, I'm from the Paul Harvey days. I mean, we'd be on road trips with my parents and noon, we got to scan the dial for whatever we're, you know, if we're in Arizona or Nevada or wherever we are, we were, we're searching for Paul Harvey to come on and give us the news at noon. So <laughs> yeah, that's, that's my history. <laughs> so, um, you then are a perfect 10. Oh, well, thank you. Right. Uh, haven't you listened to all the right. shows? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. So then do you remember your Except exact... I, I still haven't listened to the election one. So I does that make oh. me less than perfect? Because I, I couldn't listen to that no. one. No, I think that makes you even more perfect. Yes. 
<laughs> yeah. yeah. Preserving you're, my sanity. You're still pure. I actually, I was just, um, I have this massive backlog of podcasts that I listen to and I've been catching up because I've had some more free time at work lately. And I just got to the point in the backlog of shows where it's like pre-election and leading up to the election. So everybody's talking about it, but with a much different kind of energy and it uh it was just too much so yeah <laughs> i just turned it mm-hmm. off i i work with the work with the 10 and he's always um behind uh, like t- time abandoning almost a month and he said he got to he got to the point where he couldn't listen anymore because there was so much hope before election so he just skipped to current because he couldn't hear before lots of hope or after lots of sadness <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, so I yeah. get that. Well, I listened all the way right up to it, and then I just was like, I just fell off for a yeah. while. <laughs> That's okay. You I can took still... a sick day off work and everything. <laughs> yeah. You can still have a gold star in my book. Um, so do you oh, remember nice. what your first episode was? To listen to? Yes. Um, I can't remember it, okay. because it, it feels like it was from the beginning, you know, because mm-hmm. I just, yeah. Sorry, that's a boring answer. No, it's fine. <laughs> Most people don't remember. <laughs> What's the? Uh, is there is there an episode that you remember as an early one that stands out to you when you kind of got hooked when you were realized that this was something that you really? That's the next enjoyed? question. You just stole it. Oh, was it really? <laughs> <laughs> what Sorry. what episode <laughs> turned you into a ten? Jeremy never listens. <laughs> Jeremy never listens to the show. You can tell. <laughs> so which I think episode? Some of the earliest. Yeah, the earliest ones I remember were probably the cooking in studio episodes yeah. and um you know, it was it was usually pretty gen centric mm-hmm. or it was some of the stories from when they were kids and um I always liked that. That was fun. Yeah. Um all the shenanigans they would get up to. Jeremy still hasn't yeah. even heard any of those. He I think he we need to make a clip show just for him of Jeremy listen to the things they would do. Well, until other people started editing LRB when I was doing most of them, like the first 50 or 60 episodes or whatever, you guys, I, I heard a lot of those shows. Mm-hmm. I think I heard a lot of the kind of the classic ones yeah. that you guys would play clip from because <laughs> I had to go pull the clips from them. So I know a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> have you ever been on the show no, I ha- personally haven't. Luke read my email that for the wolf um, episode that we talked about back then. So that would be the only time. I don't know if you want me to tell that again, but that was in yeah, sure. the yeah, episode should, I did with Dave. Yeah, because that's a that great story. story. Briefly, because that's like a pretty, <laughs> that was a pretty amazing thing. And we'll link, we'll put a link to it in the show notes too. So you guys can just go to um our 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 website and mm-hmm. take a look and we'll put mm-hmm. a link to the original episode in there so you can go back and listen to it if you want to and hear the uh extended cut okay um we had only lived in washington for a year <clears throat> and i was teaching it was my first teaching job and um so when you're low on the totem pole as a teacher then if there are if there's a reduction in the number of students that they're predicting for the next year and they have to lose staff then they always cut the first you know the last hired or the first fired and so i was um i was in jeopardy of losing my job because of a reduction in force and so 
Um, this was just the day after the wolf episode about um, the wolf shirt that was for sale on Amazon <laughs> and all the reviews of the magical qualities that the wolf shirt had. And it's the three howling wolves on the front of the shirt. And um, so when I went in, I got called in by my principal. And so I went in to talk to him and I knew kind of what this was going to be about. And when he was telling me that, you know, he was very sorry, but I was on, you know, one of the handful of people in the school that were going to be rift, as they called it, reduced. Um, I noticed on his tie, he had three howling wolves on his tie. And so um, it just, it lightened the moment for me, you know, even (laughs) though it felt like it was a real, you know, at the time, my... um, my husband at the time was on dialysis and we were, uh, because his kidneys had failed and I was the breadwinner of the family and we have two kids. And so there was a lot kind of riding on me having a job and a job with benefits and all that. And so mm-hmm. it was a heavy moment for me, but seeing the wolf tie kind of cracked me up and, <laughs> and I didn't really cry too much. <laughs> so I sent Luke an email about it and um, he read it on the air. I think it was the next day. And then that was what Dave heard and he put together that it was me because he figured out which teachers were going to be let go and which female teachers. And so he, that he sent me, um, tickets to the Mariners game for the TBTL Mariners game, the first one. And, um, that's how we got together and met and became buddies. So it's a good story. Yeah, it's like, and then and you, if you want to hear more, you can go back to the old episode yeah. and listen to it. <laughs> and then just a little spoiler, but you also helped him through a um, trying time with his daughter, right? Oh yeah, because we went to the last Mariners game, um, which was what two years ago mm-hmm. now or so. Yeah, and so. Um, and while we were chatting, um, they have a daughter, and um, he and Carrie and. They told me that they just had, I think, a month before, maybe two months before she was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. And my daughter has had that for many years now. And um, so I was able to just kind of talk to them and relate and, you know, just be another friendly face that's kind of in that community and kind of hook them up with a a Facebook group of parents who have kids who have type one diabetics or type one diabetic kids. Yeah. And so, so yeah, it was awesome. Curing global loneliness one person at a time. (laughs) Um, (laughs) (laughs) What is your favorite TBTL drop? I think it's so hard, but I think I'm learning is probably the one I use the most Yeah, (laughs) because I just say it all the time in all sorts of, you know, venues. Do you do it? Do you use it at school? Do you ever talk in drops at school? Oh, yeah. Yeah, all the time. All the time. Do your students ever ask you where it's from and do you tell them about TBTL? No. No. <laughs> no, You're like that's no for me. Those. Yeah. <laughs> that is for me. Yeah. <laughs> but I do have up on my wall when Dave sent me the Mariners tickets, he had printed out like the three wolves and and this little thing that said tends to take care of each other. Aww. And so I have that up on my wall in my classroom. So if they I've I've had maybe one or two people ask about that, but um not in a while. I wonder if Jen knows that story. That seems like something she would love. I, I, 
yeah, I don't know. Does she listen to to LRB? I don't know. If she's listening, she should go back and listen to episode number 33. Yeah, and go back and listen to the end of all 196 previous episodes <laughs> because there's a message for you. Yeah. <laughs> and please come on the show. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. Isn't there a rumor that Jason listens? Yep, that's that's what she told me. She came to our wedding reception and I just thought TVTL sort of in a roundabout way got us together. So I thought, I'm just going to invite all of them. And she actually RSVP'd yes. I didn't think any of them would show. And I felt a little self-conscious like, oh, this feels a little weird, but I'm just going to do it. I'm going to get over my weirdness about it. And she came and she said that Jason listens to both LRB and TVTL and then gives her like updates. Like this is what's happening because it's kind of hard for her to listen, which I totally understand. He prints out a transcript yeah. and reads it to her. Yeah. Just like Harry reads Luke's <laughs> Facebook yeah, like, comments. Yeah. <laughs> well, I understand. Yeah. It's like something she she helped build and now she's not a part of it anymore, but That's it's still going on. Slowly being dismantled. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's pretty different now. No, it's very different. Um why does TBTL matter to you? Uh, it's the community. I mean, that's the easy answer, you know, and the, and the one that I think most people agree on, but, um, you know, when we talk about my, my clip today, I think for me, it goes beyond community and it, it was because it was a life changing thing for me. I think it's interesting. TBL's, TBTL's changed my life personally in a lot of ways. And, um, not only by giving me a whole new, community of friends to belong to, but also just in exposing me to things like today's episode that, um, that impacted me in such a way that I actually took action on my life and changed it. So is that a complicated answer? No, that that's a really great answer. Um, yeah, I mean, because I mean, both you and I have most of our friends now, I would say are probably because of TBTL, right? Or um, along the way, like, oh, we met this person because we know this person. We have a lot of mm -hmm. mutual friends that way. And that just seems kind of crazy, especially when you try to um, explain it to a normie that doesn't understand podcasts. Like, oh, yeah, I have all mm -hmm. these friends. I met them through a podcast. And now I'm flying across the country. And then a bunch of new people are going to meet me because of this show. It just seems really weird when you actually say it out loud. But I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> It, well, think about it, though, because, I mean, we have 10 friends that we talk to every single day mm -hmm. of the year now. And yeah. so that's amazing to me. I mean, that's not. And when people, you know, are like, oh, your podcast friends or your imaginary friends that they're like, they're more real than, you know, a lot of my old college friends in the sense that we stay in a lot closer contact. Right. And see each other more frequently. So. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. We should all be called imaginary friends. Because of an imaginary be? radio? <laughs> no. Yes, that needs to be a new thing. That's a hard pass. <laughs> well, you're barely a 10. You're like a 10.5, so you don't get to vote on this. I want all Wagoneers to vote if 10s, if you want to start calling them imaginary friends. I need everyone to weigh in on this. And I won't hate you if you vote against me. I'm totally fine with that. Okay. All right. So let me set up the tape so we can get into it a little bit more. This this clip comes to us from July 1st, 2014. It's episode 1,634. 
where Luke is chatting with Joshua McNichols, who has a podcast called The Day Job, where he is inter- he interviews artists to see how what they do for their day jobs to make it possible for them to be artists. Um, it's very interesting. Uh, you should go back and listen to the whole episode because Andrew does a terrible job of yes anding Luke at the right before the clip because Luke's like, isn't this such a, don't you have that question? Isn't that a great premise? And Andrew waits a really long time and then goes, uh, yeah. <laughs> so everyone should go and listen to that just for it. Um, but let's go ahead and roll the clip. All right, we are back with TBTL. It is, of course, our What Are You Doing Here week. My name is Luke Burbank. I'm your host. I don't know why, Joshua McNichols, I do these resets yeah. as if somebody just happened uh, uh, upon the podcast, like it's a radio show. Right. It's the old habits die hard. And we are in a kind of a radio-type facility here at Cairo yeah. recording this, so maybe I have an excuse. But uh, you are the guy behind this Day Jobs uh, podcast. How many people have you profiled so far? Uh, so far I've done six, but I've got a whole bunch of them in the can that I've interviewed but haven't produced yet. Um, So who are we going to hear from next? Uh, Next is uh, Carrie Kirkland, and she teaches trapeze at Emerald City Trapeze Arts. See, that seems like the kind of job that you would have to have a day job to support. Because trapeze, like, you know what I mean? I feel like the the premise of this is, like, he's the, you know, leading uh, hip-hop artist in Seattle, but he's a garbage man at, you know, by morning because he's got to pay the bills. If it's, like... Well, you are a trapeze artist or trapeze teacher. That seems like a pretty sweet day job. Yeah, it really does. I mean, and there's and you know there's this community of this sort of circus community that seems to be um, providing a circus like experience for people who work in software. And they they have their own day jobs, but they may not have music careers where they can sort of have that creative outlet. So, so this is actually how she makes her money. Yeah, that's right. Oh wow. Okay. What's her name? Uh, Carrie Kirkland. Okay. Let's take a listen to this from the Day Job Podcast. Whatever happens up here, I've got you. Don't worry, I've got you. Do you feel my knuckles in your back? Do you feel my hand around you? Do you feel that? You don't have to think anymore. Just listen. All you have to do is listen. I will take care of the rest. What do you do in a day? Well, uh, I I teach flying trapeze. Breathe in the salty air Let's lean out. Lean out with your belly. Give me how to touch my hand. Yep. There's a steel bar suspended by two wires, and it is pulled back into the student's hand by a metal hook. There we go. Okay, so I want you to lean out, grab that bar. I got you. I got you. Lean out. Oh my God! Lean out and grab that bar. So in that moment, they are a spring. They are a spring ready to be released. We say hep, and 
that's their moment to jump off the platform. Second, oh, no. hold on, I got you, Stephanie. You have me? Yep, I got you. I don't even know your name. It's it's Carrie. <laughs> Carrie. Okay. Okay. Hand Just on the set. bar. Good. Push your booty where do, away. Where do I put my other hand on your right where yours next is? to Brian? She's gonna guide you. Just listen. Okay. Right next to Brian. Left. And I, I can pick out the people in my classes who are used to doing jobs that have them be in control. I don't know, you heard me up there with that girl. And yeah, I mean, she works with foster kids and she is in charge of keeping people safe. And so to allow herself to become, in her mind, unsafe and out of control is the most dangerous thing for her to do. Jump off. Ready. Okay, Bend wait. Your knees. Bend your knees. Hop, okay, jump I can off. do this. I can't do this. To take that jump, to take that leap off, means they have to let go of everything that's holding them back. And that's why trapeze is so transformative. Jump! that woman's voice singing in the background of that song? That's Carrie Kirkland. She composed the song with her friend Seamus. They perform under the name Great and Small. But Seamus always sings the lead. Carrie has a fear of this spotlight. Honestly, I still I still struggle with that. I'm a musician who is more comfortable being a flying trapeze instructor <laughs> than letting someone listen to my music. The other side of that, the funny flip side of that, is like, put me on a karaoke stage, I'll sing all night. I don't care. It's someone else's stuff. But when I put my stuff out there, there's definitely like, oh crap. That's surprising when you know Carrie's background because she's the daughter of traveling musicians. As a baby, she slept in a guitar case while her parents crisscrossed Canada from music gig to music gig. But her family wasn't a healthy place to grow up. My dad has a lot of crazy in him, and he would up and say, okay, uh, we're going here tomorrow. And so you never really knew, are we, am I going to be in school for a while, or am I going to be homeschooled for a while, or is it going to be two weeks here, is it going to be three days there? It's really, it was just hand-to-mouth. It was literally hand-to-mouth lifestyle, and it was very difficult. Carrie left home at age 16. At 19, she formed a band. The band decided to put on a big concert. I had never performed in front of an audience before. A music magazine showed up to interview them. The band came out in ridiculous outfits. I was going to be kind of like Gwen Stefani and have this big wild mane of hair and, and punky. and I mean, there was nothing good about it at all. But the people in the audience were their friends, and so they cheered when the band came out on stage. And then they sat back and witnessed one of the worst train wrecks of a performance any of them had ever seen. And nothing's tight. And I sang so quietly that, you know, it, the mic was so hot that it was feeding back. The guitarist seemed to think he was some kind of guitar god. We 
you looked around and you, and you see in the eyes of, of all of your bandmates on stage going, uh, Jesus, this is not good. This is not good. And therefore, everybody starts to melt a little bit. And they're like, oh, God, just get through it, please. The audience grew more and more quiet. And then by the end of the second or third song, it's like... It's terrible. Her mom had come out to see the show. She tried to offer Carrie some emotional support, but Carrie had already made up her mind about the performance. Oh, God, I, I watched the video of it afterwards, and I actually stepped on the video and put, burned it. Like, I got rid of it because I didn't want anybody to ever see it again. It was so bad. Leave the dying song behind It fades into the distance I look towards the place that I left with such resistance. The wind is howling from the west. I turn to face a fury. I didn't come to find myself. I gave myself to bury. performance was a long time ago, but Carrie still remembers clearly how afraid she felt when everything spiraled out of her control. That knowledge makes Carrie an empathetic trapeze instructor. Some people who instruct are all about the business, all about the business of, you know, let's get them hooked in, let's get them off the platform, because that leaves them the least amount of time to be afraid. And I subscribe to that, and at the same time, for me... I prefer people to walk through that fear rather than around it. So I tend to have people up on the board with me a little bit longer. I like to let them take a breath. I like them to feel how high they are. You're right there. Doing great. Yeah, you're doing awesome. Hey, honey, this is nerve-wracking. <laughs> you're going to be holding on to me when I leave. I have got you right now, okay? Do you feel my knuckles? Sometimes we're... Get stuck, and it seems I'm far away. But I've got so much on my mind, There's so much more to say. Carrie got married recently to the founder of Emerald City Trapeze Arts. And we flew before the wedding. Um, Gary, my husband, caught me. I flew in a tiny little white tutu. It was rhinestones and blinged out. It was amazing. Carrie says it's been good to be near someone who sees her potential. She says he challenges her, reminds her it's okay to take risks. And she's learning, slowly, to accept his praise. 
At the end of our interview, Carrie let me strap a microphone to her arm with duct tape. Then she climbed the ladder, grabbed the bar, stepped off the platform, and flew. why this mattered to you. <clears throat> so um, I was driving across Wyoming with my son. Um, we were headed home from moving my parents from Colorado to Kansas City. And we listened to podcasts along the way. And so we had a bunch of different podcasts that we rotated through. And um, this episode was on. And um, I was listening in the first the first story with the the first guy who's the paralegal or whatever was an interesting story. And I liked his music. He sounds kind of like Elvis Costello. And, and um, then when the next story came on, as soon as I heard the woman, Carrie start saying, I've got you, you don't have to think, just listen. And then this music starts behind her. I just um, was entranced by it. And the music, the words of the music are, I know what fear is. It's always near us. Why are you running? And it just spoke directly to me in that moment. And I'm just driving along, riveted to listen to. She has this calm manner of speaking and this centered sort of way of of um, being. And, and the music was right up my alley in terms of music that I really enjoy. And so she starts talking about kind of um, how being on the trapeze platform and taking that leap off is this exercise for people who are always in control of their life. And in this step, they have to let go of everything that's holding them back. And so I'm listening to her talk about this and I'm listening to the swinging sounds of the trapeze in the air that they're recording and this woman that she's working with who's terrified and mm -hmm. I'm that woman at that moment. Mm -hmm. And, and I, I want to be in the position that that woman is in. I mean, I feel like I have to be there. Like I have to leap. I have to do it to survive at that moment. And, um, I had kind of lived my life up to that point just um, determined, you know, I, I was in a marriage that I was committed to and I had two kids and I never, you know, I think it was a difficult marriage and, and I had considered divorce before and we had talked about separating uh, at least once and, um, but I just never wanted to do that to my kids and, and we were a part of a church family and so there was just, it, you know, it just wasn't part of my, my thinking generally and not to be in that marriage. And, and I had gotten to the point in this marriage where somebody told me that before this point in my life, when they saw me, they're like, the last time I saw you, I just felt like you were just kind of resigned to this life that you were in, that you weren't really happy, but you were just resigned to it. And that's really what I was. I was in this marriage that um, was difficult and I was just resigned to it. You know, I'm just going to be in it. I have to stay in, you know, I've got these kids and, and, um, 
as I'm listening to this story about facing your fear and taking a leap, I just feel tears just start running down my face and something just shifted in me. And I didn't really know what I wanted to do or what I needed to do yet. But I knew that I needed to change my marriage because it had just become untenable for me at that point. So um, I got home um, after this trip with my son and I spent one night at home and then I left to go teach at the science camp in Tacoma for a week. And, um, you know, it was really hard to leave my daughter after being away for so long and seeing her for one night and leaving again. But um, before I left, I, I had taken off my wedding ring and just put it in a drawer by my bed. And my ex hadn't worn his for a few years just because he said it got in the way at work. And, and it had always bothered me and I mentioned it to him. But when I just made that decision to take that ring off and, and put it in my drawer, I just felt this weight lift off of me. And I stopped really caring that he wasn't wearing his and it just didn't bother me as much as it had. And when I was at camp, um, there was also at the, uh, we were at the PLU campus and there was a luthiers conference going on at the same time. And these are all guitar makers and mandolin makers. And so obviously they all play as well. And, um, and so there were a lot of, you know, groups of people set around playing mandolin and guitar and all this. And I met one of these guys and his name was Emmett and he was from Victoria. And we just had a lot of really good conversations over the next few days when we'd see each other in the evenings when I wasn't teaching, a lot of us would get together and go listen to music and just talk. And, um, so on the last day there for both of us, his conference was ending and our um, camp was ending. I was telling him about this podcast and about listening to this episode about Carrie and how it had impacted me. And he stopped and said, um, I, I played the song for him. I found the song that was on the podcast and I played it for him. And he said, um, that's Carrie. I, we're friends. <laughs> I oh. went to her wedding. And, um, and he said, do you want to meet her? She would really like you. And I was just like, I just dumbfounded. Like I couldn't believe what, you know, what would the chances be that I'm going to meet somebody from Victoria who knew this woman I had heard in a podcast on another podcast, yeah. you know, that yeah. I heard across Wyoming. It just seemed like there's, that's just, you know, it, it just blew my mind. And so, um, and so I went home and met with my therapist to kind of gather my courage up. And the next night I told my husband that I was moving into the spare bedroom and that we needed to go to marriage counseling. And um, um, understandably, it rocked his world. And, and um, on the other side of that door in that spare bedroom, I became the most terrified and happiest I had ever been. And, um, I mean, to the point where I stopped craving caffeine and sweets and I stopped chewing ice all the time and, and I just dropped all this weight and, um, I was just happy, like just happy from the inside in a way that I hadn't felt in a while because I had just taken this leap to try and change something. And, um, we were still living in the same house for months, you know, several months and, and um, it was uncomfortable and, and the school year got going and um, <clears throat> I saw this Groupon for the Emerald City Trapeze Arts and 
I asked my kids if they maybe wanted to go and try it. And this, um, you know, they agreed. And so it was in, I think, October that we went down and we took a class down there. And this was a really big deal to me. It felt like sort of the physical steps to um, take the leap that I had just kind of figuratively taken in my life. And um, so when we went down there, I kind of nervously introduced myself to Carrie. And she knew that I was coming because my the friend I had made, Emmett, he messaged her and let her know about me. And um, I was terrified. And and excited to try this thing. And, um, I felt like everything had sort of been leading up to that day since I had listened to that podcast in the car in Wyoming. And, um, when I stood up on that platform, finally, just knees shaking, I could see Carrie in the wings watching me. And, um, it feels really different when you're up there than you think it's going to feel. And um, it's just this little small, like it feels like you're standing on a two by four waiting for this swing to swing up to you and grab onto it. And then you have to just jump and, um, and you know, you're tied on the sides. You've got like this harness around your waist. And so, and there's a, there's a big net underneath. And so, you know, you're not going to die, but it still is terrifying. Like it makes me sweat thinking about it right now, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but, um, I'm standing there and tears are springing into my eyes too, because this is an emotional moment for me because I'm going to take this physical act now that I had just, you know, sort of taken in my heart a few months before. And, um, and I did it and, um, and then I got up and I did it again and, um, I went a few times and my kids went and, and it felt cathartic in a way. And, um, so two weeks later, uh, we had a shooting in our school and then, um, I don't know, maybe about a week after that, I finally filed papers for divorce because, um, we'd been trying counseling and, and I was waiting to see if things might change and we're talking about mediation and all that. But um, it just sort of became the catalyst for me to finally say it's enough now. It just needs to be enough. And so um, um, then we went through the divorce, and which is terrible and awful and hard. But I am still at a place in my life where I feel happier than I, I feel like I've ever been. So, and you feel, you, you feel like the real kind of catalyst for you making that realization was hearing this clip while driving across Um, the country with your family. Yeah. Hearing a podcast on a podcast (laughs) and it was just listening to, it was just listening to Carrie's voice talking about how, um, You know, there are these times in life when you just have to let go and just take this leap and and actually hearing people take this leap on this podcast. And then when at the end of the podcast, when he says he's clipped a mic to her while she goes up and she swings on the trapeze, all you hear is just this whooshing of the air um, while she's swinging back and forth. And then they bring up the music under her and it just, you know, I just remember hearing that and wanting to be in that moment so much, that sort of peaceful sound. And, and, um, so yeah, it was, when I listened to it, it still tears me up Mm -hmm. again. So have, um, 
have you ever talked about how um kind of transformative this was for you with like with Carrie or with um have you ever talked to like the guy uh, what's the guy who put together the the podcast Jason something Joshua McNichol is that yeah. his name? <clears throat> have you talked to him? I haven't. About I actually just I sent him a friend request on Facebook like yesterday. So <laughs> oh really? I you should tell him. <laughs> yeah. Um, I know. I should just send him a message. But um, would, would you be okay I, I if didn't we didn't really? If we like tagged him in the like if we t- tweet at him or something? I saw he's on Twitter and send him the show once. Yeah, that'd be. Yeah, I mean, I, he's a KUOW guy, or he was. I guess mm-hmm. this played a few episodes on KUOW. Um, I didn't, I haven't really looked him up as an individual until last night. Hmm. And you know, I I went back though, and I listened to all the Day Jobs podcasts. I think there's ten of them that he has. It was on a great show. He did a really good job yeah. with it. I really enjoyed it, and I would love to hear more. And and it's funny because when you're listening to Carrie's podcast now. Um, Carrie and I became Facebook friends then, you know, that October and have kind of, you know, kind of, I've kept tabs on what she's been doing and every once in a while she'll make a comment on something I post Mm -hmm. and, and just in the past six months, I think she has decided to go and pursue her music career again, like full time. Oh, really? So she's been recording. Yeah. I think she's down in somewhere in California working on recording. And, um, that's exciting, you know, after hearing her talk about how she, she doesn't like to be the lead singer. She wants just to be the backup that she's brave enough to go out and be the lead is great. And, and, you know, her husband and she have an amazing relationship and, and, um, they actually were on a TV show. They, they were on whatever that TV show is where they have like four different couples that are competing, having the most amazing wedding to have their honeymoon paid for. Oh, I don't okay. Know what it is. It's one, one of those yeah. TLC shows or something <laughs> and they won. And <laughs> so their wedding was a trapeze wedding, obviously, and they won it. And so they got their <laughs> honeymoon all paid for. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> of course it was. Yeah. 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 I thought that, I thought that was interesting where she had a really traumatic first time out singing in front of a crowd where mm-hmm. it was a crowd filled with her fam- friends and family and even they couldn't handle it um which yeah. i would just like quit music <laughs> and life altogether <laughs> at that point but yeah. she but instead she got this fear of she couldn't sing her own art in front of people as a lead singer she still would go out and do it but she could never be a lead and i thought that was really interesting that she helps people through all of their fears and their control issues and helps you get divorced and um, find yourself basically. But she had that, that those trappings. And so that's really awesome that she's now out and able to do it herself. Yeah. And her partner in the music that I was listening to, the the stuff that's on the podcast, Seamus, he um, has a lot of his own music. And so when you, get in and you know kind of go down the youtube rabbit hole or whatever and find his music his his stuff is amazing also i started following him and i sent him a message at one point to just ask if he was ever going to be recording with her again or performing mm-hmm. with her or something but i think he um is based in somewhere in the uk oh <clears throat> and so 
So he doesn't get over here that often, it sounds like. She went over there to record with him, I think spent a month or something like that, recording over there with him. It's a pretty great song. Yeah. That was on the show. Yeah, um, so I basically had Jeremy and I on because we both have also been divorced and had to had to deal deal with this, like picking up the pieces. Jeremy, did you ever have a moment like this? I've been divorced one and a half times, I would say. One and a half. <laughs> I, went, I went through a divorce and then went through a terrible separation with my daughter's mom. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, when you mean like a turning point? Yeah, like like, uh, like how Dana, like just a moment when you knew like, okay, I can't mentally do this anymore. No, I mean, I was, um, my, my, like the catalyst for me was much different because I, um, unlike Dana did not <laughs> have the courage to actually like, <laughs> you know, put my ring in a, in a drawer and yeah. step away. Um, even if maybe I knew it was something that, uh, was kind of in the back of my head or something that I was thinking about, you know, I wouldn't even let myself go there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I never had a moment like that um, as much as I just like self-destructed my life through terrible choices. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that <Yeah. we laughs> That's <don't>... one route. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. But but it wasn't so much like a uh, it wasn't so much like a turning point, you know. And I actually have thought about it a lot because I think that like I, I'm I'm jealous of people like Dana that um, have the Sorry, I don't know why I'm talking about you like you're not here, Dana. <laughs> I'm jealous of people like you, Dana, that have the courage to actually stand up and and do things like that. Because, um, I mean, even even after, you know, I like I said, I won't go into the details here, not because mm-hmm. I don't want to talk about it on the podcast, because I've definitely done that before, <laughs> but just because it's a really long story. But um, I had a pretty, you know, traumatic outward thing that happened that caused my separation from my ex-wife. And, um, it was a very, it was a really public thing. And I don't even know, I don't even know how we would have gotten divorced or if we would have even gotten divorced had my now ex-wife not just made it happen. Like she just came and handed me papers a few weeks after we separated and asked me to sign them. And I said, are you sure you want me to do this? And she said, yeah. And I went and sat in the water wheel. (laughs) I went and sat in the water wheel bar in Ballard (laughs) and, uh, signed my divorce papers, which is a, uh, if, if you're from the Seattle area (laughs) and you're looking for a good bar to sign your divorce papers in, (laughs) I highly recommend the water wheel. Um, you know, but I don't know that I, I don't know what it would have taken for me to actually, to actually be the one to, to, to have the the courage to step away like you did, Dana, Mm -hmm. you know, I, I was raised in a evangelical Christian home and was told for, you know, 27 or how old was I when I got divorced? 28, 29, 30, something like that. It was maybe late, late twenties or early thirties, you know, and I'd been told my entire life by my family, by everybody around me, by my support system in my community that divorce wasn't an option. And it was, you were failing, you know, if, if you got a divorce, then you failed. Um, Mm -hmm. and even in separating that, um, message was reinforced by the way that I was being treated by my family, a lot of my family, I should say, and, um, most of my kind of community and support system. So, 
you know, I don't, I don't know. I think a lot about that because I don't know what it would have actually taken for me to, to uh, have the courage. And I guess I didn't listen to enough podcasts. You, know, you needed <laughs> yeah. to listen to TBTL. <laughs> so it wasn't necessarily <laughs> that you, it was because of this big traumatic thing that happened that pushed you to do it. You were unhappy and you would have just lived that way for the rest of your life. Yeah. I think there's a really good chance. I think there's a really good chance that I would have just lived miserable for, I mean, who knows what would have happened, you know, five years down the road, maybe I would have heard this clip on <laughs> little red bandwagon and finally had the courage to uh jump off the ledge with the trapeze or whatever but um but yeah you know i i uh probably would have just been gone on convincing myself that you know the the devil was trying to make me feel bad about something and uh i needed mm -hmm. to stop listening to that voice in my head or whatever you would have been the next mark driscoll yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> actually used but to we really have a like lot in guy. common though I yeah. mean, we we were both raised evangelical Christians. My dad was a pastor and his dad was a pastor before him. And, you know, my dad's brothers are pastors. And, um, and I was the youngest of three kids and I had two older brothers and my oldest brother uh, got his girlfriend pregnant before they were married. And so then they had a very fast marriage so they could be mm -hmm. married before she mm -hmm. had the baby and, and then my middle brother is gay and came out, um, you know, I don't know, I was probably 18 or 19 when he finally came out officially. And so when I knew that about both of them as a teenager, I, at some point I resigned myself to be the one who, the who good one. did everything right. Yep. yep. I was going to be perfect. <laughs> yep. And that's how I, I, I geared my whole life. I, I was steady, stable. I chose a career path that was very stable for the most part, um, reliable. Um, you know, when I married somebody who wasn't as steady and stable and reliable in terms of employment and things like that, I was always the steady Eddie. I was always the mm -hmm. one who always had a job and, and made sure that we had insurance and we were taken care of. And then once we had kids, then, um, you know, we had a little bit of time where I was a stay-at-home mom and it got pretty bad when we were having to go visit food banks and things like that and um, <clears throat> get help. And so after enough of that, I went back to work and, um, you know, went back for to be, you know, the main breadwinner for our family again. And and so it was hard because I also was from that that culture that said divorce is wrong and bad and we don't do it. And um and I, and I didn't want to do it. I really never wanted to do it. And so it was a crazy kind of shift mentally to listen to that podcast. And, you know, the marriage sort of had been chipped away for years. Um, you know, just sort of trust eroded and little bits kind of worked away at it to the point where I was a little, you know, I, it was emotionally, I, I had a lot of space emotionally speaking. And so when it got to the point where, you know, I didn't see any hope for it ever getting better, like I knew this was how it was going to be, then it just took that story to sort of be the kick in the pants for me and, and to, to, to think that there could be something better, or at least being alone was better than what I was in. Mm -hmm. And so... Did you have any fallout from church friends? Because you, you talked about a church family. 
<clears throat> yeah. Um, no, I don't think I had any fallout from church friends. I oh. lost touch with quite a few of them just because I stopped being um, involved in a lot of ways. But um, I still have church friends that I, I'm in contact with. That's so. good. That's you. That's not the norm. <laughs> yeah, no. And, you know, it was definitely an issue when we, at the time of the separation, we were involved in a home church. And so you know, they met at our home a lot of times. Oh, so yeah. that, uh, <laughs> that couldn't continue. Yikes. And so then there was this, like, who gets custody of the church? Oh, my <laughs> yeah. God. Talk. <laughs> and that so that was plan. a. Yeah, it was a terrible, uncomfortable talk, and I just kind of bowed mm. out of it because I didn't want to be a part of that, um, you know, talk. I was invited to be a part of, you know, um, another group, and I just, I got to a point, though, especially after the shooting at our school, that I, and being in a marriage where I was very much a giver, that, and that, that church, the home church, was very much about um, community service, um, I needed to back out and take care of myself for a while. Sure. And yeah. it, it got to the point where I just couldn't give anymore. You know, when you teach all day, you're giving all day mm -hmm. and then you've got kids. And so, you know, between the kids and the students, I needed to, to finally wall off some time and space for myself and energy back into myself. And so the church had to go. And, yeah. you know. and um, Christy, how about you? Do you have, did you have a trapeze moment in, in um, your previous marriage? I don't. And what do you think will be your trapeze moment for our marriage? <laughs> well, <laughs> hopefully we both were married for you exactly did, like five years. You did just have me put a bed in the guest room. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, we both, we both got exact divorced almost exactly to the day of our fifth wedding anniversary. So yeah. I, my strive i'd want to at least make six okay so <laughs> okay all right <laughs> that's called a win if we make it to sure. at least six all right. um oh, man. i, I so just stop remember... doing weird yoga <laughs> yeah no more or do more yoga. weird yoga yeah who yeah. knows we'll see <laughs> but basically in my in my old in my previous marriage i i thought yoga was demonic so <laughs> yeah can you believe that they used to think they were like calling the devil <laughs> so weird um <laughs> So I, I don't know. I can't place a moment. I just know that things started chipping away. We we're always fighting because he was lying a lot, lying and sneaking. He would lie about stupid things like um, he would say he didn't smoke, but then I would catch him smoking. <laughs> it was so weird. Mm -hmm. um, and I would fight about it all the time. And he was terrible with money. And he was constantly like mm -hmm. draining our bank account. And he was addicted to online porn and draining our bank account with that like i had a full-time job and was going to college and he just was going to college so I was supporting us and and he had all those bad habits um yeah if somebody can't even figure out how to get free porn on the internet right I know. yeah he was terrible right. and he'd be porn. like no i didn't and i'd be like then why are there like weird um like you know like when you would go to terrible sites and all of a sudden it starts loading things onto your computer he just wasn't good about it at all he like wasn't computer savvy is so. your ex-husband sean spicer yeah right <laughs> <laughs> pretty close <laughs> pretty close he also hates dipping dots so that's strange um that's alternative porn yeah and i remember just this one fight that we had 
And I just left. Like my friends and I, we were in college. I was in college. My friends and I just left and I didn't tell them where we're going. This is before we had a cell phone. And I just left to Orcas Island for the entire weekend and didn't tell him. And I think that was the beginning of the end. But I had a little bit of Dana syndrome where I was always the caretaker. It was failing if you got divorced. Both of us had been kids of divorce and strife in in marriages. And I was like, I, if I just do better, then that won't happen. And then I graduated from college and moved back to Seattle. And he stayed in Bellingham to finish his last year. And I just stopped visiting him. Because I used to go up there every Friday and I just stopped visiting him. And when he came back after he graduated, I just felt stifled and like, I, I don't know how to explain it. I tried to get him to join the Navy um, <laughs> at one point. So I was like, I know the perfect job, something that's really far away. Um, and then I, it, it just was completely broken and I just one day I just told him like, this isn't working. And he's like, yeah, I think it's not working. Should we try counseling? And I said, nah, I'm done. <laughs> like this is done. Mm-hmm. We're, we're done. And then mm-hmm. I found out a lot of more stuff. Like he had a bunch of money that he was hiding, even though I was like supporting us and it, mm-hmm. I don't need to get into it. But I mean, were you the one that like went and actually took initiative to get all the paperwork together and everything? Yeah, we did it together. We got like an old typewriter. Cause like you, <laughs> They didn't have online. And how PDF. old are you? <laughs> they didn't have online yeah. PDF forms at the time. Okay. So you had to get the actual things and mm-hmm. um, type it out. So we typed it out. We actually went to divorce court together. Wow. And d- did everything. It was very amicable. And he, my family loved him. So they were still. There was a couple like that when I, one of the times, <laughs> one of the many times that I got to go to family court when I, <laughs> when I was figuring out stuff with my um, daughter's mom, there was a couple like that in front of me at one of the times when I was waiting to go up and talk to the commissioner and they were like obnoxiously like, okay with everything. They were just yeah. happy. Like we're just here trying to figure this out. We actually agree on everything. We just don't know how to fill out the paperwork. Yeah. And like, they were just totally happy and, it made me really mad. Sounds like yeah. a dream. <laughs> yeah, that's that's basically what we had. We're like, we didn't have anything. We did, luckily didn't have any kids. Um, mm-hmm. it, it was funny because I always thought I didn't want to have kids. And then I realized that, like the second we got divorced that it was just I didn't want to have kids with him. <laughs> mm-hmm. But then I was like, oh, now I'm starting to get old. Like <laughs> now my mm-hmm. eggs are getting cooked. I can't. <laughs> Um, but uh yeah so I think it just kind of wore down and then I finally I guess took the leap on the trapeze and and said it because he was like sleeping on the couch or not coming home at night so we both knew that it was it should have happened but then I was what I was the only thing I was scared about is telling my parents I made him tell tell my parents because that was the Mm -hmm. thing I was nervous about is that feeling like a failure to my parents yeah i remember that moment very clearly of getting on the phone and having to tell my parents that we were separated and and my parents could not have been more supportive and more loving and and more unsurprised i think too ultimately did they like him um well yeah i mean my parents are they're 
my parents are just good people, mm-hmm. you know. They've been married forever, more than 50 years, and and they're going to... It takes quite a jerk to not... Um, for them to not like him, but yeah. also he participated in making their grandkids who they adore. So, right. you know, they can't hate a guy to the point where they sent him a Christmas present that Christmas that, <laughs> and it, which yeah. angered him because he's like, that's inappropriate that they sent a present. Oh, <laughs> and I'm like, back or don't they don't stop it. loving you, you know? Yeah. And, and that, I think that was the frustrating thing too, was in the divorce. I never, I wasn't divorcing him because I was mad at him and, and angry and hateful and whatever. I just couldn't live in the marriage anymore. Mm-hmm. If anything, I wanted him to be whole and happy on his own and to not need me and to be okay. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to have an amicable relationship and be able to co-parent and all that. And it, it just hasn't worked out as of yet. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, fingers crossed. Yeah. <laughs> sometime in the future, maybe we'll be able to be nice to each other. But, um, but yeah, I mean... Yeah, <laughs> I would love to have the whole process have been much more amicable, but it just it wasn't a possibility. Yeah. Yeah. That was a great story. <laughs> Do you ever feel like that? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, pretty, pretty, pretty good. Um, I know Jeremy always thinks I'm being insincere when I was like, that's a good story, but that really is a great story. <laughs> and I have a feeling that someone out there listening to this right now is having the same feelings that you are. Mm-hmm. And you know, Dana uh, is so much better person now <laughs> in that she likes herself and she's whole and so much happier now yeah. that she took the leap. Mm-hmm. Well, and if you want to learn what happens if you don't take that leap, um, learn from the wreckage of the last 10 years of my life. <laughs> <laughs> and if you want to know more, send me a message. I'll point you to the podcast where we go in depth. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my, my divorce is on, on May 1st. So May day is my divorce day. And, oh. um, last year it was my one year anniversary. So I'm coming up on two years now. And last year I posted something on Facebook and just to say, you know, I'm not, divorce isn't something that you celebrate, but, um, I just wanted to recognize the change that it had made in my life because of the people that had brought into it. And I kind of just, you know, made this sort of thankful post, um, and a couple of tens messaged me privately <laughs> and they were going through something or mm-hmm. on the brink of something at that moment also. And um, there were tens that I had met before, but weren't, you know, we were acquaintances, but not necessarily really close. And so it was really good to be able to be support for some women that, um, you know, were, were having the same types of issues. So, you know, any other tens out there, if you need that community of support, then definitely message me. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, it doesn't have to just be divorce, but any big life changing thing or um, illness or anything like that. We all need mm-hmm. this kind of. Yeah. Um, if you're trapped in a cult. If you're trapped you in a cult. Out, or <laughs> I can help you with that one. Yeah. Call your dad. Jeremy can help you. If you need to stop drinking, Jeremy can help you. If you're trapped in a cult, he can help you. Um, if you're on the top of a trapeze and you don't want to let go, Dana can help you. 
Yeah. <laughs> Probably just call Dana, guys. Yeah, Dana's much better <laughs> off. Let's just, let's just all call Dana. I'm actually going to call Dana after we're done yeah. recording this episode. I have some <laughs> we're just, when we saw our house, we're just going to move in. <laughs> let's be honest. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> I've got air mattresses for you to sleep on. <laughs> all right. So let's wrap this up. If you would like to go to our website, it's littleredbandwagon.com. And we usually put the links to all the shows and some tidbit information in there. So go ahead. Um, Facebook, you can find us on the Sense page or ours, which is Little Red Bandwagon at Facebook.net slash Little Red Bandwagon. Just, just, just type in Little Red Bandwagon <laughs> in the little search uh, bar. And, that's and how and Facebook you'll works. The, you'll find the page. Jesus. <laughs> um, our show Twitter is at LRB Podcast, which um, the people who do it are not me. Um, and they are like being super funny lately, just so you know, so if you want to see someone that's being funny mm-hmm. about TVTL, go there. <laughs> um, you can email us at littleredbandwagon at gmail.com. Um, leave us a voicemail. We're really loving all of your feedback, specifically your throw your phone moments. Those yeah. are racking me up. So, um, call us or I, wanna, text. I just want to throw Luke's stupid phone. <laughs> I'm so mad. Yeah. Well, it might not break because it doesn't have as many components. Oh, right? I'll break it. <laughs> Jeez. I'll break it. Do you know what's funny? Is it, we don't need to get into this, but so much, but it seems like something you would do. It does. It does. I that's think that's why, why it makes me so mad. Jeremy's level of like hatred towards the thing Luke's does is it's because it's everything he would do. Or have done. Yeah. This is the guy who, yeah, you're the guy who started eating or drinking Soylent, so yes. mm-hmm. I yeah. don't have mm-hmm. a lot of room to talk. Right, he has no. zero room to talk. <laughs> no. At least Luke's making taco shells out of cheese, which sounds delicious. <laughs> Soylent is not delicious. <laughs> it makes terrible taco shells. It does. It's so bad. Uh, okay, I, I have to say this since I have a microphone and we're on the show. He keeps on comparing... <laughs> He keeps on comparing the phone thing to like an alcoholic or somebody like an alcoholic can't be around alcohol. I have to say, as an actual alcoholic, I, I went through like a three-year st- stretch of my life where I could not stop drinking in the same way that apparently Luke cannot stay off of Twitter if he has his phone. The solution to me, not the solution to me no longer uh, drinking every day was not to stop being around alcohol. It was basically a bunch of therapy. I got into a program that helped me work through the emotional issues that I was trying to treat with alcohol. So Luke needs to stop spending money on gadgets, and he needs to just go to more therapy. He'll be a lot happier in the end. That's all I'm saying. Good advice. And that phone is so fucking stupid. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, Aiden. So our e- our voicemail <laughs> <laughs> number is 802-432-TBTL. That's 802-432-8285. Um, Dana, do you, have, do you want people to follow you on Twitter and or Facebook? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> I've got about 30 Facebook followers. I mean, Twitter followers. So I'm worthless on Twitter. I just, I just read the comedians and that's about okay. it. So do you want people <clears throat> to friend you on Facebook? Sure. They can friend me on Facebook. Okay. Dana Steele. Yeah. That's Steele with an E at the end. It's a silent one. Silent soldier mm-hmm. right there. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, she'll probably we'll probably tag her in the post on the Stens page. We can't tag her from the from the 
Little Red Bandwagon page, but you can find her on there. Yeah. Go add Dana. You're She's probably nice. already her friend. I'm She's her. awesome. And if you're not going to follow Dana on Pro. Twitter, you can follow me on Twitter. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm at Dadstronaut. Oh. Come follow me on Twitter. I follow okay. you. Oh, good. <laughs> there we go. If you like poop jokes, follow <laughs> Dadstronaut. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on and telling your story, Dana. It was very great. Thanks for having me. Until next time, this is the next party. We love you, Jen. Please come on the show. Dana Nelson nailed it. Nailed it. Oh, I talked over you. Okay, do it again. (laughs) I was going to say, don't wait for cake, but then I decided. Oh, nailed it. Whatever you want. Oh, no, I did it. Damn it. I should say, don't wait for pie, because pie's better than cake anyway. Yes. No, you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we nailed that. Jeremy, stop being funny. He's making himself a camel toe with his sweatpants, <laughs> and now he's doing like weird yoga. I'm trying to get the like, right energy. <laughs> Why don't you have pictures? I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> he's like doing squats and like warm ups, like he's gonna run a marathon. <laughs> it's like I'm trying to be serious. I can't be serious when I'm looking at a camel toe. <laughs> Sounds like I'm we just... got an episode title. Some of us try to avoid <laughs> weird camel toes. <laughs>